Today on Government Matters, modernizing the Army to win future battles. The leadership role of the Army Futures Command and the lessons learned from past joint all-domain exercises. We spoke with the commanding general of the program at the AUSA conference. And recapping the events of this week's AUSA annual meeting, the latest Army technology and initiatives from 2021. My conversation with the new president and CEO of the association about upcoming goals for the future. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Mimi Gerges. This is Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news trends and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm Mimi Gerges. The Army Futures Command is leading the efforts to modernize the U.S. Army. Earlier this week, we spoke with Army General Mike Murray, who leads the Army Futures Command at the AUSA annual meeting, to discuss the latest initiatives from the command and lessons learned from past joint all-domain exercises. This conversation is part of our Army Modernization Series. General Murray, welcome. Thank so you. nice to have you. Thank you. So Army Futures Command was created in 2018. Yep. How have you done so far? I, I'm a little biased, but I think, you know, if you look at the start of Army Futures Command three, just a little over three years ago, so it was August of 18, August 24th of 18 to be specific, um, when we uncased the colors, um, there were 10 of us standing there when the ceremony was over. Uh, and then, you know, the size doesn't really matter, but, you know, you get to an organization of over 27,000 people today. The intersection of technology concepts and organizational structures that we've kind of driven and then some of the newer initiatives like Project Convergence, which I think we're going to talk about. Um, the standing up of a software factory, the standing up of what we call the Army Applications Lab um, to, to really begin to work with the, the non-traditional industry we've never worked with in the past um, and operating as a headquarters. And so what you know, we were trying to grow the headquarters and complete the merger, if you will, of existing Army organizations uh, in the course of three years, I think, as I step back and look at it, I think it's remarkable progress. You mentioned Project Convergence. What is it? What are you trying to accomplish? So Project Convergence was uh, just an idea last year, and it was it was done on a shoestring uh, because it was a last-minute idea. So you're very familiar with the palm process. We weren't in the palm, so we were wandering the halls with a tin cup looking for resources uh, to do Project Convergence. It's, it really started off um, as the Army's attempt to figure out how JADC2, so Joint All-Domain Command and Control, applied to the Army. So we started off with a simple concept of trying to link sensors to shooters through C2 Command and Control nodes, headquarters. Um, and we very quickly figured out that requires a lot of bandwidth, and so it's sensors to the right shooter and only through the appropriate C2. And that was last year, and we were successful linking sensors from space, from terrestrial, and from the air um, through some... Uh, in-house developed artificial intelligence algorithms that helped us uh, identify targets and then pick the best shooter and do it a lot faster than we can do it today. We quickly realized last year um, that the Army, we, we didn't realize, uh, we knew, but we realized we need to bring the Joint Force in. So Project Convergence 21, we started last December with a three-star board of directors and got all five of the services to include the Space Force involved, plus uh, the Missile Defense Agency, plus the Intel community, uh, to really focus on trying to solve the hardest, what we call use cases, so mission threads, 
uh, that the joint force is going to face in a future conflict. And that's that starts this week. So uh, what have you learned so far? And I know that you're just getting started. Yeah. What's the most important things you've been learning so, so far? So it's really complex. Uh, that we have built for decades systems that weren't meant to talk to each other. Um, if we could just throw everything away and start over with, but that's not going to happen, right? You're just not going to throw everything away that the U.S. government and really the taxpayers have invested in for the last decades. And so bringing legacy systems to the table and how do you connect them, and it, it's, it's about data. I mean, how do you give other services and other platforms access to the data they need to, to effectively operate in a in a what is undoubtedly going to be a contested environment and so each week uh, this week for instance we'll work through the use case and then on friday we'll we'll deliberately make it hard on ourselves by taking away some of the capability by jamming and other things so i was going to ask you about <coughs> electronic warfare yeah cybersecurity i mean you're you know you mentioned things coming from space and terrestrial systems how do you deal with that so we, we figure out where where, our, where we're vulnerable and i would just say the network is you know the network we're building out is going to be key to everything we're trying to do uh, you can have the best long-range shooter in the world but if it can't access the data because your the network's been denied then uh, that's all you have is a really neat capability so it's figuring out where our vulnerabilities are, and then in the Army we call it a pace plan, so figuring out alternative paths for that data to flow. And so a lot of the work we're doing this week, next week, and the next two weeks after that are figuring out, you know, how does that data flow, and when certain paths are taken away from you, how can it be rerouted so you can make sure that you've got access to the data you need. Then how do you take what you learned from Project Convergence? How does that inform the rest of your modernization efforts as a whole? Mm -hmm. So it's... You know, we've talked so far about technology. Uh, we'll also have the 82nd Airborne Division recently back from, uh, from Afghanistan. And we'll have what we call the first multi-domain task force out of the Joint Base Lewis-McChord in Washington State. So it, it is about the technology, but it's also about how that technology is going to force us to, to fight differently in the future. So the application of that technology should provide some operational benefit to, to a unit uh, as they use it. So we'll learn about how we're going to fight in the future. We'll also learn about different structures. So the first multi-domain task force is a brand new unit um, and still figuring out their, their role in, in multi-domain operations. So you know, maybe we'll have to do some restructuring in terms of cyber capability, electronic warfare capability, long-range precision fires capability. So it is the technology, but really the technology is a driver. And then really two paths. One is it'll feed Project Convergence 22 because it is a campaign of learning. Um, people call it a demonstration exercise. I mean, I, it, it's all that, but I prefer to think of it as a campaign of learning. But we just don't nobody's paying me just to learn, right? So it's also what technologies can we spin out and get in the hands of our soldiers very, very quickly through the appropriate uh, program manager. All right. Well, General Murray, we're going to take a pause right here. Okay. And then we'll come back and continue our conversation. Okay. Coming next, more of my conversation with General Murray at the AUSA conference about modernization priorities and the latest initiatives at the Army Futures Command. We'll be right back. At this week's AUSA conference, we spoke with General Mike Murray, Commanding General of the Army Futures Command. That command is charged with modernizing the Army and matching and exceeding all adversaries to win future battles. This conversation is part of our Army Modernization Series. 
So General Murray, we're talking about Futures Command, and I'm wondering how you're working with industry and how you would like to work with your industry partners. So I think, um, and we were talking about project convergence before, I, I, I actually, and, and I would recommend you ask them as well, I think the communications with industry, when you're talking about the major defense industry partners, I think the communications got better. And I think we've done a better job of describing problems we're trying to solve as opposed to telling them exactly what it is we want them to build. So coming out of Project Convergence 20, we sat down with um, the CEOs from the Defense Primes in a small session, and then we opened it up to anybody that wanted to participate. We had a 1,000 people on the net uh, as we described the problems that we saw in Project Convergence 20. We did the same thing getting into 21. We'll do the same thing coming out of Project Convergence 21. And then as we get into Project Convergence 22, we'll, we'll drag in industry partners. The best way for industry to participate is through what we call CRADA. Uh, where they can bring their tech, and, and it's up at Aberdeen Proving Ground, a joint systems integration lab. And I have very clearly instilled in the people up at Aberdeen that this is best athlete. So if industry has a better solution than we do, then I'm happy with the industry solution. Um, so, but if we've got a better solution, you know, we can't scale things. So we're still going to need industry. Uh, participation if we've got the right algorithm, for instance, that we're going to have to scale. You said in our last segment about working with non-traditional companies. Yeah. What, how non-traditional are we talking so about? So we're talking everything from the, the startup uh, working out of a garage to small business uh, to some people that have dabbled. Uh, we're, we're through the Army Applications Lab in Austin. We're probably about 85% non-traditional defense. Um, and we've it's a very similar approach in terms of we tell them our problem we're trying to solve. And the example there is uh, we want to be able to fire faster uh, through our self-propelled howitzers, uh, the artillery pieces that are, that are self-propelled uh, armored vehicles. And so the problem we describe for them is not that we wanted an autoloader or that we needed these technical specifications. The problem we gave them is, and I won't say the actual numbers, we, we want to go from X rounds of minutes to Y rounds of minutes. Help us figure it out. Um, and so they came up with some solutions I would have expected them to come up with, but they also came up with things that most people would say, duh, right? So putting a QR code on an on a artillery round so you can scan it and so that back at the am ammunition supply point, they know exactly where the ammunition is in the system. It, that is just like, it's, it, I mean, but it's, it's just looking at... You can do at, that with an iPhone. Yeah, but <laughs> I know, but, you know, I've walked past that problem for... 30 years and they never even thought about that that was a problem we could solve. And so it's it's everything from material solutions, technical solutions, to things, looking at our problems differently. And the most successful part of it has been is taking these small businesses, entrepreneurs to places like Fort Sill or Fort Hood and letting them spend the day seeing the problem. And they come back with all kinds of different ways of thinking about how to help us solve problems. Well, what about acquisition? Because, you know, we know that acquisition in DOD takes a long time, but you're dealing with really high-tech stuff that needs to get there quickly. It needs to get there, uh, you know, within cost, and the process still needs to be fair and transparent and all that kind of thing. So how are you doing that? That's when I lean on the, the acquisition professionals that are our partners from day one. So um, the cross-functional teams, which we haven't talked about, they're all partnered with 
uh, program executive officer and the associated PMs of the, the efforts they're working, some of them programs, some of them not yet programs. The partnership uh, that I have with uh, Assistant uh, Secretary of the Army for Acquisition Logistics Technology, ASALT, um, you know, Bruce Jetty before, currently Karen Sanders is sitting in that position. And it's really, I think, the, the term cross-functional gets overused but underappreciated. And so from the very beginning of an effort or a program, making sure we have that ASALT partner because I can't, I can't produce anything uh, except good ideas. Uh, I have to have that partnership. The testing community involved from the very beginning our labs because that's where the technical expertise is involved from the very beginning. Uh, Army Materiel commands the logisticians as we look at life cycle support for that, pe that piece of equipment. And so it, it's that cross-functional really across the Army is what allows you to accelerate. You know, I want to ask you about long-range hypersonic uh, weapons. What's the Army's rationale for those weapons, and are they more appropriate for the Air Force? Um, I, yeah, I'll be a little parochial. I, th I think there is um, enough need for hy for hypersonic weapon, and really, what, what's valuable about a hypersonic weapon is the range, the speed, and the difficulty of intercepting a hypersonic weapon. I think the more dilemmas we can create for an adversary, whoever that adversary is, that you know that that. The threat could be coming from a land-based system, an air-breathing system, the Air Force, or from the sea, from a Navy system. I think when you allow uh, an adversary to focus on only one, addressing one threat, I, I think you've taken away a lot of options for a Joint Force Commander. So I think there is, there's plenty of room for all the services in this arena. What about directed energy? What's your strategy for that? So I think directed energy has a lot of potential. Uh, and so we're working on a couple directed energy systems from an air and missile defense uh, perspective. Um, I think we still got a ways to go. Uh, they're still hugely expensive. Um, and then there's little things like airspace clearance. And you know, unlike a kinetic weapon, when you're clearing airspace out to a certain distance, if you get a a directed energy weapon of any magnitude, you got to clear the space catalog, right? And so, um, it's, and that's all doable. But I think, you know, how we integrate directed energy into, because uh, I don't think you can just rely on just directed energy because of atmospherics and weather and other things. So it's a mix of kinetic and, and directed energy, kinetic energy and directed energy. Uh, how you pair those together, um, and, and, and really we got to get the price point down because right now, and we're just building prototypes, so they're expected to be expensive, uh, but we got to get the, and then you balance a very expensive missile off a kinetic energy system versus a shot that costs you basically pennies, um, and so over time it becomes cheaper, but there's still a lot of work to do as we, as we still prototype. So finally, General, General, what are you trying to accomplish here at AUSA this week? Uh, at AUSA this week is, is strengthening some industry partnerships, and so I'll spend a lot of time with booths. Um, you know, seeing some people I haven't seen in a long time is obviously always a part of it. Um, and then just telling the story of Army Futures Command, because I, th I think it's an incredible story uh, where we've come in three years, and I think there's a tremendous amount of work that still needs to be done, and just make sure people understand what it is we're trying to do. And we're happy to be a part of that, too. Thank you so much Thank for you. being with us. All right. Good to see you. Coming next, recapping the events of the AUSA conference. My conversation with the association's president and CEO about the accomplishments and the takeaways of AUSA 2021. We'll be right back.
This week, we attended the annual meeting of the Association of the United States Army, or AUSA. That conference was back in person this year after a virtual event in 2020. Our conversation is part of the Army Modernization Series. Retired Army General Robert Brown is the new president and CEO of AUSA. General Brown, welcome. Well, thanks, Mimi. It's, it's great to be here. Well, this was your first um, year back in person for AUSA. Last year was virtual. Any problems with that? No, you know, uh, I'll tell you, we were so glad to be back in person. Uh, I, I heard it over and over again. We had about 20,000 uh, individuals attend. And of course, uh, safety was our first concern. So we, uh, we made vaccinations mandatory uh, and had all the proper health checks. And, uh, you know, just it was great. Virtuals, you know, wonderful, but it's not the same. There's nothing like being back in person. And folks were very glad to, uh, to be back together again. So tell me about some of the major accomplishments that you had from the conference. Well, you know, the, uh, the theme was uh, America's Army and its people uh, transforming for the future. And, uh, and so we had numerous uh, uh, forums, seminars, uh, and discussions. And then, of course, uh, just incredible participation from industry with 661 exhibits on the floor where we saw some incredible uh, technology and uh, just so many things that can help uh, our army remain uh, the best in the world. And so it was, it was really great to, uh, to see the army leadership there uh, addressing their uh, concerns and, and pointing towards the future. We had the secretary of the army, uh, the chief of staff of the army and the sergeant major of the army, of course. So, uh, Across the board, a great participation. Folks learned a lot, saw a lot of uh, uh, that that's out there and available, uh, and uh, you know, a chance really to network. Uh, that again, we've been missing for about the last 18 months. Well, General, you just stepped into this new role as president and CEO of the of the association. What have your priorities been so far? Well, first of all, I'm really proud. Uh, to join an organization that for 71 years has been the voice for the Army and the Army's premier association. And uh, we, we really exist to educate, inform, and connect the public uh, with, with her Army. And uh, it's so important uh, because we, you know, we need the best Army we can have to help defend our nation. And, and we, we want the Army to be so good that nobody would even think of doing harm uh, to our nation because they know uh, uh, that that uh, our army would uh, would swiftly respond and be able to defend us uh, the, the right way. So it's just so proud to be a part. We have uh, uh, incredible, about 250,000 members, 122 chapters around the country and overseas in the Pacific and Europe as well. And they do an amazing job supporting soldiers, families and, and veterans. And so I'm just proud to be a part of that uh, as we uh, as we move forward, continuing to help. Well, tell me about AUSA a little bit and why was it created and what's its value proposition for, for all those members? Yeah, no, great, great question, Mimi. And, uh, you know, uh, it was created because we, we found that, uh, again, back in 1950, 71 years ago, uh, there were just small associations out there and none of them really connected and, and uh, in some cases doing more harm than good of, of uh, not really understanding what the needs of the Army are. So uh, AUSA was formed to give one voice 
and really be the premier association. And, and that involves everything from uh, connecting the American people uh, with the Army, because unfortunately, uh, as we look at how, how times have changed, you know, the, the bases are more isolated than they've ever been due to se security requirements. And then fewer people are serving, you know, less than 1% serve. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, AUSA can really help connect uh, America's Army with the people. And then, we, as I mentioned, we, we educate folks on what the Army does. I think a lot of folks don't understand the Army uh, has 170,000 soldiers in 140 countries around the world uh, helping keep peace uh, build our allies and partners uh, so that we can it's a huge advantage we have to maintain uh, peace and security and uh, and when you look you know again informing folks on what the army does and connecting them with uh, their army is just so critical well general i guess it's time to start planning next year's conference general brown thanks so much for being on the program thanks mimi appreciate it and yeah we look forward to hopefully uh, you know, good positive things. Uh, COVID uh, is uh, getting under control. We see the trends are very good lately. So we look forward to continuing to build and next year uh, even bigger. Uh, and thanks for the opportunity to explain uh, the Association of the United States Army and, uh, and, and really help support our great Army. Thank you so much. If you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's on our website at govmatters.tv. And don't forget, you can find every episode of our program on YouTube. If you subscribe to our channel, you'll see all the videos we post. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 10.30 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on 7 News to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Mimi Gerges. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Katherine Roloff and Drew Friedman. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Our director of content is Alan Holmes. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.